Let's imagine that we have stepped into an artist's studio in northern India. It's the 17th century and we've found ourselves at the court of the powerful Mughal emperor. He's a lover of books and he's become a magnet for the very best bookmakers and illustrators. No expense is spared and every book is assembled by a team of ultra-specialists. Some draw outlines, some paint the colours, some only do faces and others still focus on the calligraphy. And they are famous for making masterpieces in miniature. Entire galleries which fit in the pages of a single book. Pictures so small that these artists are famous for losing their eyesight from working away at them. One painter is poring over a tiny image, no bigger than your hand. It shows an episode from one of the most famous love stories in history, that of Leila and Majnoon. In this electric little drawing, they stare across a forest clearing at each other, surrounded by wild beasts and doomed never to be together. Over time, this one page will become detached from the rest of the book and eventually find itself in the Ashmolean Museum. This is Objects Out Loud, an audio adventure through the poetry and stories hidden in the galleries of the Ashmolean Museum. I'm your host, Lucy Dawkins, and this episode is all about going crazy for love. Today we're taking a trip into the Ashmolean's collection of Islamic and Asian art as we track down this eternal tale of troubled lovers. It's a story which has been told and retold for over a millennium, appearing in art, poetry, opera, theatre and music, and even inspired an album by Eric Clapton and Derek and the Dominoes. To find out more, we're joining curator Francesca Leone in the archives, and she's got Shakespeare on her mind. Love is a smoke raised with the fume of sighs, being purged, a fire sparkling in lovers' eyes. Being vexed, a sea nourished with loving tears. What is it else? A madness most discreet, a choking ghoul and a preserving sweet. Even prior to meeting Juliet, Romeo's assessment of love was sharp. Unfulfilled desire, sleepless nights, incessant weeping, and a madness bittersweet. Yet centuries before Shakespeare's tale of Verona's star-crossed lovers, the story of another doomed couple had captivated listeners and readers from the Arabian Peninsula all the way to the Indian subcontinent, that of Laila and Kais, or as he's best known, Majnun. This is a tale which stretches back at least 13 centuries, first circulating with nomadic Bedouin tribes in the Levant, and maybe even inspired by the life of a real man who lived at the beginning of Islam, a certain Qais ibn al-Mulawah. And here is how it goes. Laila and Qais fall in love quite young, but as they belong to rival tribes, their union is opposed on both sides. Laila is betrothed to another man, while Kai's grief-stricken, goes mad and abandons the world for the desert, becoming known from now on as Majnoon, 
meaning insane or possessed in Arabic. Though separated by life's circumstances, the two remained devout to one another. Although married, Laila cherishes news of Majnun's public declarations of love whilst guarding her virginity against the advances of her husband. Removed from the world and with animals only as companions, instead, Majnun spends his time roaming in the wild, composing verses for his absent beloved, as the distance and the silence between them slowly consumes him. After years of separation and following the death of his father, Majnun unexpectedly receives news from Laila and ecstatic sends a passionate love letter in return. Shortly after, Laila arranges a meeting in a palm grove not far from her dwelling, where the two lovers are temporarily reunited, although at a distance, before parting again. More years pass, and recently widowed, Laila is released from her legal and social obligations and is finally free to join her beloved. But with Majnun increasingly estranged by this point, it is not long until further separation and grief take hold of her for good. Learning of Laila's death, Majnun rushes to her tomb and dies instantly. Their shared burial soon transformed into a site of pilgrimage. Such a tale of doomed love has its roots in the Arabic tradition of Odri poetry, a genre which celebrated the passionate desire for unattainable beloveds. The story wandered across many centuries and countries until it reached the ears of Nizami Ganjavi in the 12th century. Nezami grew up to become one of the greatest romantic poets in the history of Persian literature, and through his retelling, the story of Laila and Majnun took on a new dimension. To the ancient Bedouin tale, in fact, Nezami added features typical of Persian poetry, including odes in celebration of nature and gardens, and stories hidden within stories meant to provide a moral lesson. Through his pen, the tale also acquired a mystical force. Majnun came to symbolize the ideal lover who completely renounces the world and its temptations to devote himself fully to the contemplation of the beloved. Nezami's extraordinary version of Laila and Majnun in turn inspired many imitations and literary adaptations like those of Amira Hosro in the 13th century or Hatefi in the 16th century. Translations of it flourished, including in languages as diverse as Chagatai Turkish, Azeri, Urdu and Kurdish. There is also continuous speculation as whether William Shakespeare may have drawn on this tale when writing Romeo and Juliet. While there is no sure proof there are remarkably strong echoes between Laila and Majnun and Shakespeare's unfortunate teenagers, both divided by warring families. One is cast out from the city and both united again in death. 
So perhaps one of the greatest British plays has its origins in Arabic and Persian literature. In addition to possibly reaching as far west as the soggy banks of the River Thames, the story was also known as far east as the Mughal imperial court in India. There, artists and calligraphers flocked to create manuscripts filled with jewel-like illustrations to suit the emperor's sophisticated tastes. Laila and Majnun appear all over these precious books, and here in the Ashmolean, we are lucky enough to have a page of one of them. As I slide it out of the safety of its archive box, it gives me the tingles. Measuring a mere 19 by 11 centimeters, this drawing of Laila and Majnun is like a tiny window within a larger book page with gold-tinted floral margins. Like others, it once sat in an album or muraka, a portable picture gallery meant for private delectation and usually designed to gather works of eminent painters and calligraphers collected by the individual who commissioned it. Maybe more such tales once filled the original manuscript's pages. Unique yet familiar images, which like this one, celebrated the stories of fabled couples like Mihre Mushtari, Farhad and Shirin, Zal and Rudabe, Yusuf and Zuleikha. With the rest of the manuscript now gone, however, we will never know, and we are only left to contemplate love's power and fragility through the melancholic gaze of our troubled Bedouin friends. Inside a frame of bright blue and diaphanous gold lotus flowers and leaves, the picture is delicate, drawn in faint lines and pale color washes. It captures the fleeting moment when Laila and Majnun meet for the last time, surrounded by the wild animals that have become Majnun's only friends. They face each other across a clearing, evoking the intensity of their feeling at the same time as the distance between them, even at this moment when circumstances have brought them together again. Transfixed by Laila, Majnun sits beneath a palm tree, surrounded by his companions. A king among his court, like Solomon, as Nezami observes. He writes, Among them were animals of every kind and size, but what a miracle, they did not attack each other and lost all fear as long as this trusted stranger stayed in their midst. Does one not think of a vulture as a bone picker? And was not Majnun merely a skeleton covered with skin? Yet he rested peacefully in the shade of the vulture's wings, which at noon protected him against the heat of the sun. Guided by the vulture's example, the other beasts of prey also lost their urge to kill. 
The wolf no longer devoured the lamb. The lion kept his claws off the wild ass. The lioness gave milk to the orphaned baby gazelle, and the jackal buried his age-old feud with the hare. It was a peaceful army that traveled with Majnun as he roamed the wilderness, his animals always at his heels. And here Majnun is, surrounded by his furry and feathery courtiers, the said vultures sitting just behind him alongside parrots, hoopoes, peacocks, and even phoenixes, symbol of divine wisdom and perennial rebirth, as well as lions, tigers, and cheetahs, next to hares, deers, and buffaloes, all at peace and all mesmerized by their starved and love-stricken sovereign. Delicate pastel hues highlight the plumage and coats, while light green and azure washes bring life to the surrounding hills and sky. Almost all the animals are in pairs, appearing two by two like in Noah's Ark. There is a tragic irony, as if everything in the natural world is united with its true love, except for the protagonists of our story. Lila, in fact, sits a few steps away, her camelier just around the corner, and their attire, the silk-draped palanquin, the brocaded robes and bejeweled accessories, sharply contrasting with Majnun's deprivation and frugal existence, so eloquently captured by his rugged loin cloth. Distance is chosen neither for fear nor for rejection, though. Nezami has Laila say, Fermud bepir, ke e javan mard, noble sir, so far I am allowed to go, but no further. Even now, I am like a burning candle. If I approach the fire, I shall be consumed. Nearness brings disaster. Lovers must shun it. Better ill than afterwards to be ashamed of the cure. With these words, Lila chooses the spiritual and emotional yearning over the short-lived gratification of her desire. For her and Majnun, love is a journey of self-annihilation in the other. I am Lila, and Lila is I, Majnun once announced to his skeptical critics. If you knew what it means to be a lover, you would realize that one only has to scratch him and out falls his beloved. And so they sit in this little drawing, so near and yet so far from each other, yearning to cross the space and join their other half like the animals all around them, but refusing to give in to the impulse. This fragile image is a window into the ecstasy and pain of love. It is almost uncanny how familiar this story feels, even though it has traveled through many centuries and languages and cultures to find its home in the Ashmolean today. Love, it would seem, hasn't changed all that much since. 
continuing to delight and trouble all those who fall on its path. Thank you to Francesca. And if you want to take a look at this jewel box of a picture with all of its animals surrounding the pair of lovers, then all you need to do is follow the link in the podcast notes. This was the last in this series of Objects Out Loud, but there are more Ashmolean podcasts on the way very soon. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate, review and share. It helps other listeners to find us. (laughs) 